Okay, actually, Gary Lee Connor, thank you so much for joining. Howdy. How you doing? Oh, pretty good. Just, good. Uh, what is it, Thursday? Thursday afternoon in so. the middle of Texas, right. where I'm at right now, San Angelo. Well, I, I love your background there. Like, you've got a, a weird psychedelic thing going on. Yeah, it's like all my, well, I actually have a few original posters. I have like uh, some of them on top there are ones that I bought in the 80s in uh, Haight-Asbury. Like I have, uh, and a lot, most of them are just copied off. Like I got them off the internet, just copied them and put them on the wall. And a I few of it. them I have, a few of them I have my old book. I got this, like, man, what year did I get that? Mid seventies. It was like a book of psychedelic posters. I cut them all out and put them on the wall. You know, I love this it. Is like when I was in high school and yeah, I still have some of those even too. That's so, incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. You, you, psychedelics. You've stuff. been in Texas for like three I'm sorry, three, 20 years now, right? Yeah, yeah, three, no, 20, yeah. Is it three or 20, right? Yeah, yeah, 20, yeah, it's about 20 years. Yeah, right after the ban ended. Well, see, I moved, I had moved to New York for a while because mm -hmm. I met my wife like we were on tour in New York and we went out for years. And I finally got married in about 1993. And so between, you know, the late last half of the 90s, I was commuting between New York and Seattle all the time. Right. So that was kind of hard. I did it. So, you know. I, I did the same thing in the late nineties. Yeah. So I'm, I'm totally. Yeah. I had lots of air miles probably at the time. Yeah. You know, not the, anymore. The best deal there was, was, um, continental, even though they were a shitty airline. Yeah. They had the, the frequent flyer thing. Right. So. Yeah. I think I, I my, my average trip was like 200 bucks, like to see. Yeah. You right. know, and you could always up like every, like third or fourth flight whatever you could upgrade to first class so it was like okay perfect you know yeah. without paying anything so they didn't care but you had to fly out of new jersey you know newark to do that oh yeah so. yeah i used to well I, that was easy for me because my wife was we lived in the she lived in rockland county so oh, okay. the newark was way easier because you didn't have to go into the city right. <laughs> i always flew into newark a lot newark was like the main airport i flew into all the time so i must have yeah. flew on continental quite a bit yeah uh, it, they had the tiny little seats though. Like, I mean, they, they sucked. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm a relatively tall guy. I think you are as well. Yeah. Right? And, and yeah, it's well, really yeah, hard too. So yeah, I can't imagine like nowadays, <laughs> like the seats must be so small. I couldn't even fit. I mean, I've lost a lot of weight, but the last couple, several years, but you know, but still pretty big. So I can't imagine what kind of size seats they have now. And so I haven't been on a plane for like 20 years at least. So. Oh, really? Not <laughs> at all. It be like, no, I have our when for years I didn't even leave this town, like mm -hmm. hardly ever leave it anyway. It's very, very isolated. It's kind of funny because it's a lot like Ellensburg, except for it's bigger, right? It's about 100,000 people, where Ellensburg was about 20,000, and it's right in the middle of the state, except for the fact that Ellensburg had a freeway going through it. But San Angelo is really weird, it's got no freeway, you have to drive on two lane roads. It's like if you look at a map, you got like the Interstate 20 is in the north, and it's Abilene. And down south is Interstate 10, which goes from like uh, San Antonio to El Paso. Mm -hmm. And right in the middle is San Angelo, and there's no interstate. It's like one of the biggest towns in the whole country with no interstate. It's like so, uh, so it's like really fun, and it's it's too far to Dallas. It's like four hours, so oh, kind of sucks to have to go there. But my my daughter lives there, so huh. at least for the pandemic, I'll probably go there after. So. Right. I, I think this is a lot of fun because um, last weekend I did a, a, a chat with uh, Brad Sensel from TKO who was from Yakima. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, oh, Yakima, yeah, Ellensburg, right. and, you know, oh. it's like the center of, of Washington. Um, yeah. And yet yeah. here you are 
basically in the center of Texas. So, yeah, I know it's kind of <laughs> weird because well, I, I I migrated all over the country my whole life. Like until I was six years old, I lived in Barstow, California, and I was born out in the middle in Fort Irwin. And the, the my dad was a tank commander mm-hmm. in the early '60s in uh, the army. And then uh, when I was about six, we moved up to Ellensburg. Uh, mm-hmm. my, that was my uh, grandparents both lived in Walla Walla, which is down the corner of the state. I love Walla Walla. In the middle. Yeah, Walla Walla is a weird town. It's like it's pushed way out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it is. It, it it can't is. go anywhere. Uh, but anyway, the uh, and then later after the I moved to Seattle for not I didn't only live in Seattle, maybe like two years, three years total on and off. Mm-hmm. And then to New York and then way over here to Texas, which I've been since like 2001. I love it. I love it. So um, before we get into the media stuff, uh, your wife is an educator, right? She's a teacher. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's got a PhD in chemistry. When I first met oh, her wow. outside the uh, Pyramid Club in New York in 1989. It was like, yeah, she's like, yeah, you could. I mean, um, it was before the show and she was there with a friend and I started talking, you know, because she didn't recognize us because she was going to the show mm-hmm. and, you know, talking about Ellensburg. And she's like, yeah, like teach chemistry. She just got her PhD like in 1980. 88 89 so now she's had it like 30 some years and she knows she's, wow um but yeah so i was really impressed by that that's how i remembered her then a few months later i met her again and we ended up going out and then it was really weird going out. we were on tour and then having to fly around and like go you know wasn't easy of course nowadays with all this video like stuff and right. internet dating and all that must really be weird oh yeah <laughs> was, yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I can say this. I, I met my second wife on on an internet thing, and I, oh yeah, that was a big fucking mistake. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's something to be said about um, just getting to know somebody randomly, and and you know. Yeah. Those, those. Well, it was kind of actually a good thing because we talked on the phone right. so much that we got to know each other better, really, because we talk all the time. Yeah. As no, opposed absolutely. to just going out and doing stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. So you, you you moved to Ellensburg and, and you were early teens, I'm going to guess? Oh, uh, no. Uh, when we moved to Ellensburg, I was six. So oh, okay. went, like grade school, yeah, like Van was this, Van was like one or two. We're about right. four and a half years apart. So Van was like one or two and I was about six. And then we lived there our whole lives until, you know, until the band, you know, the band got started there. We did everything. With all the SST stuff, we still live in Ellensburg. And finally, about a year or two before we got signed to Epic, people people gradually started going. To, like first landing and moved to Ellensburg, and then Pickerel moved to Ellensburg. I mean, then we moved to Seattle, from Ellensburg to Seattle, and then Pickerel moved there. And then finally, Van and me didn't move there until the first time. I kind of was back and forth when we did the Uncle Anesthesia record. We finally got signed to Epic. That was the first time we got an apartment. Oh my God, your yeah. your puppy is so adorable. Oh yeah, Rubble. Oh, Rubble is a nice golden retriever. I, I love Rubble. golden. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. They are a lot of fun. So he is. You, oh. he's like, I want to be part of it. Come on. Yeah, I know. Does somebody have a treat? A treat? A treat? A treat? I don't got one here though. <laughs> sorry, sorry so, to put you in the spot on that one. That's okay. Um, yeah, Ellensburg so, and Seattle was like you know um, I didn't even go to. Seattle, first time I was like in fifth grade, you know, I remember, you know, the Space Needle was like, we went up, um, in fifth grade, we went to Seattle at school trip and went up in the Space Needle and, you know, and it was, yeah, it was definitely a different place back then. And even oh, yeah. when we started, you know, 
it was just starting to be like the modern Seattle, probably about the time, you know, early nineties when Microsoft was getting big. Right. And, you know, stuff, you know, in the old days it was logging, Boeing, you know, just um, a real kind of like out of the way, rainy, dark place. Yeah, no, I, it, it, it's changed so, so much. Um, yeah, and even, yeah, I can't even believe seeing like the videos and pictures of like all the old buildings are now those like three, four, five story condos. It's like yeah, everywhere. It's, it's like everything they just tore them down replaced depressing. i mean probably one of the most depressing things is looking at some of the old bars and, and venues that used to exist. yeah yeah i think the vogue is like a is a condo type place i think is it, it is now yeah it, yeah it, it went through a few iterations and i think yeah. there's a nail salon on the bottom now and then like condos above which is like who, I'm yeah, sorry, oh God, who the yeah. fuck would live on top of the vogue but you know I, yeah i know <laughs> yet here we are um yeah i mean they're all gone they're all, even the crocodile now is gone like i mean it's it's all gone yeah i mean places you know it's, it doesn't surprise me because like I, you know like places aren't especially like venues aren't necessarily the kind of things that last forever although there have been way more than you would think you know like cbgb's lasted a heck of a long time yeah, it was it like 70s to like early 2000s but yeah. you know there's so many problems in having a music venue where you know for you booking the bands paying the bands trying to pay the rent trying you know it's like hard to believe that any of them lasted very long so did, did the trees ever play cbgb's oh yeah several times i used to go did there you? quite a bit in new york too yeah um yeah we played there three two three times i think something like that yeah oh. there's a picture of everyone out in front except for me i don't know why i'm not in the picture there's a picture of mark van and barrett I was probably out doing something with my wife or something. Or, or you were the one taking the picture. I don't think, yeah, somebody thought that, but then I don't think I was actually, because somebody else said they took the picture. That's what it was. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So we kind of jumped way, way, way ahead because I, I obviously want to talk about the history a little That's bit. That's okay. Right. Yeah. So, cool. like I said, you know, this is more of a chat than an interview, but I always write down, you know, a few things here and there. Mm -hmm. So, um, one of the uh, um, one of the things that I did is I went back and, and listened to the catalogs and whatnot because you know old, <laughs> so yeah. you know I forget shit. So yeah, you know right. I went back and and you know listened to uh, um, you know the entire catalog starting with Clairvoyance mm -hmm. and you know going forward. Um, and as I was listening to Clairvoyance, I was I was thinking, okay, this is good. It, it's like ringing a bell, ringing a bell, ringing a bell, mm -hmm. and then I hit. Um, is it she's lonely i'm sorry i, I should have written that down a lone, lonely girl. lonely girl lonely that's girl. it yeah yeah. yeah 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 and you know that whole lone, you know all alone in a room seattle staring at the wall right yeah and right that just like it it said something off with me and i was like oh my god <laughs> i remember like and and i think now like thinking back that was probably the, the first song that i heard yeah. even though i probably heard it in like 88 like a couple of years after the release right yeah so, right um because i didn't move out here until i was let's see i moved out here in 85 i think but didn't really get in the music scene here until like 87 ish give or yeah. take. yeah um, there was a music scene so we didn't even know anything was going on over there in seattle it's like when clairvoy i mean you know you might think like well this was recorded you know and it was 86 i guess when we recorded clairvoyance but um 
you know, as far as I having any connection to Seattle or Seattle scene, probably I'd say exactly zero, maybe. I mean, every once in a while we go to big concerts over in Seattle. About the time we start we started the band, 85 or 86, we started going over to Seattle, maybe going to some record stores and stuff. But mm-hmm. I don't think we ever went to any like smaller shows at bars or anything before that. After that, of course we did. Yeah. But uh you know, um our our only connection to anything was really Steve Fisk, who we met in Ellensburg. He was uh, I love him, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's like went to Evergreen, was you know, did all was in Pell Mall, and I originally I guess from California, but he went to Evergreen um, in Olympia, like a lot of people did, like Bruce Powell and some pop people. And uh, for some reason, I don't really know why he moved over to Ellensburg, but uh, the friend of his, Sam Albright, had like his I don't know where they got the money to do it. But they started a studio above his dad's. Um, they made easy mats, like photo mats, you know, the part you put around. Oh, yeah. That side of the photo. Yeah, they had this place called Easy Map, and it was down by the train station in Ellensburg. It's like two-story building. And above the second story, he built this amazingly great, you know, it was like beautiful studio. The, it was weird, though, because he only had an eight-track in there, which I guess maybe wasn't so weird back then. Now it seems right. like that, that's all, and that's everything we did until Buzz Factory was well, recorded I, on that Otari H. <laughs> well, no, I mean, in, in the mid 80s, an A track was, you know, yeah. I mean, 16 tracks existed and 24 tracks were the huge boards, right. you know, that you'd get in, in a I know. studio. Well, it's it funny like because a million bucks. I've seen pictures like of the board and like Steve Fisk at the board. It's like, that's what we recorded all that stuff <laughs> on that little tiny thing. It's like, really? He's like, they're like, you know, and, uh, but yeah, it was, you know, so, you know, we met Steve kind of weird. It was like, he was like a huge celebrity to us, you know, suddenly like, what's this guy doing in Ellensburg? Cause he had that eraser head looking haircut, like in the eighties, you know, right. and uh, you know, there weren't too many like punk rock new wave type people around except for us really, you know? Uh, so we're like, who is this guy? We don't know who he is. You know? And he's mm-hmm. like walking around. Then we found out that he was Steve Fisk and he had a single, what, Ace Records, the record store. And so that was like, wow, this guy's like a rock star. You know, <laughs> he's like got a single. So, and then we found out that he was uh, engineering, the engineer at a studio that Sam Albright had built. Mm-hmm. And uh, then one day there was an article and, you know, we started the band. We weren't really very serious. We were just doing covers. And then, but I've been writing some songs. Um, on my four tracks i just got a four track i was really into poetry for years but i never really could mm-hmm. translate the songs and then i was about 22 23 years old i got a four track uh, cassette mm-hmm. and started writing songs this was a little before we started the band and then after we've been playing for a little while Mark, you know Landigan was like hey you got these songs he I played some songs for him he's like we should actually do these nice. original songs with the band i was like really that's a weird idea <laughs> you know we didn't really understand <laughs> understand how bands worked and there was no music scene in ellensburg so it was just all doing this in our bedrooms or whatever mm-hmm. you know and so uh i read an article in spin magazine by giza x it was like mm-hmm. diy do your own you know do your own record don't wait around it's like how do you get to do a record deal like don't wait around like a major label or something just go record it and put it out like on cassette at this time that cassettes were a big things like cassette revolution cake right and a lot of bands are just putting out this stuff on cassette you know because before cds 
and CD uh, ROMs and read, you know, writable CDs. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was the thing to do. So we went down to the studio and booked like three days and we recorded. The first thing we ever recorded was Other Worlds, which was a little bit, you know, that was like fall of 1985. Mm -hmm. And uh, just did it as a demo, but uh, Steve and Sam at the studio, they liked it. And they were like, they were doing a small record label. They'd like done one or two records by somebody called the Twang Babies. They were kind of country comedy. It wasn't another guy. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That was weird. Another guy, uh, P.S. O'Neill, he was a little bit more uh, like music, like, you know, like uh, pop, maybe. I don't really know what his mm -hmm. I don't think I ever heard his stuff. But so they were like, yeah, let's do a record with you guys. And we were like, okay, we were a whole record. We don't know. You know, we just had a few songs. And so we started writing songs. Uh, early on, we started writing songs together because we didn't know what else to do. But I was like, mm -hmm. you know, the main. I was writing songs but we also got together and wrote a lot of songs on that record that's awesome so and, obviously you knew your brother um yeah, right. where'd you where'd you <laughs> yeah. meet the other guys and and like you know how did that kind of yeah. come together yeah that was interesting because um it was mostly high school i was a little older and i was out of high school and mark and van and mark landing were in high school mm -hmm. mark pickerel was a lot younger and van was a year older than Mark Pickerel, and then Landing was like in the middle. He was like, he's two years younger than me and two years older. Than me. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, he was like a senior in high school and like a this hellion partier guy who was like, you know, getting. He, I remember he got in some huge wreck and almost got killed. Like, I remember that, hearing that about that when he was drunk or something. Probably he was like in trouble for like dealing drugs and stealing stuff. You know, he was like a typical like small town. Yeah, right. we don't want everything to do with, but Van and Mark Pickerel, you know, we'd had a, me and Mark Pickerel and Van had had a band just doing covers and stuff, you know, for a while. We played a couple of dances and mm -hmm. stuff like that, because that's all we knew to do. Right. You know, if we wanted to have a band, we were like, okay, we'll play dances, right? So uh, Mark and Van and Mark Lanigan all kind of hooked up gradually over they go they were a couple of classes together and they like see each other like at party you know high school parties mm -hmm. and stuff like that and one day they're like uh, you know hey we want to kick lee out of the van me oh, oh <laughs> no because yeah because i don't know i guess i was too controlling or something i don't know but this was in the summer 85 and why don't you come over and you sing and van was going to play van started playing guitar and mark Pickle played drums and I guess they didn't have a bass player because I ended up being the bass player first. And uh, they had the practice. The only place they had a practice was my room where I had like a drum kit. And like, that's where the other band would play. Uh, yeah, the, there was two different band names. I guess Mark Pickerel wasn't in the one, the one called the Explosive Generation. That was the second one we had. The first one was him and those guys. And we had another uh, guy played bass named Dan Harper, who was a friend of ours. And then... Um, Another guy played drums for a while named Dave Frazzini. He played drums in place of Mark Pickerel because I guess Mark, I can't remember why Mark Pickerel quit for a while. But then Mark Pickerel, Van, and Mark Lanning was like, let's start this band. Okay. They came and played in our room. And then, but in my room, but my mom actually had to tell him, man, you know, let Lee be in the band. <laughs> oh my God, that's hysterical. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. So, it's like one so, of those great stories. So, wait, wait, so yeah. they actually did. <laughs> Your mom is responsible for you eventually yeah. being back in the in screaming trees yeah pretty much <laughs> and then that. yeah and we were just doing like covers still like we did some hendrix covers i mean we did black flag covers you know we didn't know the different you know we were like 
that's the kind of the thing was the music is it wasn't like we like punk rock or we like new wave or we like old 60s stuff or 70s we like everything you know right and so um that's what we play with the old band so he started doing that stuff but then like i said earlier mark started uh listening landing and listening to some of the songs i've been doing which was most of the ones that we end up on other worlds and we uh i sat there with him like uh, after we we didn't even play him with the band at first we just did a demo for the studio like with me telling mark you sing the song like i sat there with him sitting in front of me like singing telling him like what to sing then we wrote like i think we wrote one song together it was pictures in my mind from other worlds it was like mm-hmm. me and lanagan wrote that together but uh so that's what led to clients was that whole kind of summer and fall of having a cover band deciding to do the um original songs and then get hooked up with a uh, Steve Fisk at the studio. That's incredible. Um, and you, you said something that, that reminded me of, of one of my questions that I wrote down, which is, you know, clairvoyance yeah. and listening to it and thinking it sounds like the doors on speed, right? So it, it's sort of, there, there's definitely yeah. a psychedelic influence. Yeah, we were way in, I mean, Mark was way into the doors in the early days. And then suddenly when people, we started getting a few reviews, I don't know if it was on the clairvoyance record or if it was on the next record, but he kind of like, no, I don't want to have anything to do with Jim Morrison. I don't want to no. sound like him. But yeah, there was definitely, I mean, you listen to the, like Strange Out Here on, it's almost like a parody of the doors. Like, but it's I about agree. Ellens, it's about Ellensburg, you know, that part in the middle with the, that, that stuff's all like, that's like the studios on Third Street. And uh, I don't know if they actually had cow blood, but there's like slaughterhouses. And that's like the, besides the college, <laughs> cows and the rodeo are the only big right. things in Allensburg. Like right. It's a college town with a rodeo and cows. Yeah. So I, I wrote down two other things about that album. Um, one is um, the organ on, on You Can Tell, or You Tell Me All, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Which was pretty fucking aggressive in 1986, mind you, because yeah. you know, organs were not exactly in fashion. Um, and I think there's organ on a couple of other songs, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, there are. Steve Fisk played... Did he play? I can't remember if he played on. It sounds like totally messy and like you can't tell. I mean, yeah, I I could not play keyboards at all. I got to like punch in every two seconds. You know, I play one handed. Steve Fisk, on the other hand, was a very accomplished, really, really good keyboard player. Yeah. Yeah, If uh, the turning that song, which uh, was originally recorded, that was the one song that was recorded for other worlds that we ended up using. He played keyboards on that organ we use his organ he had a really nice yamaha old like late 60s electric organ really beautiful he's, organ. he's a phenomenal human just a really, really yeah really he's a nice great guy. great guy yeah i still keep in touch with him on facebook and yeah stuff. i mean it's so like it's I, nice I don't understand why he doesn't have <laughs> you know like platinum albums up on his wall like he should um but i think it's yeah. one of those guys that that like he he eschews fame right like he like nope yeah i don't, I don't want do, anything to yeah. do with that i just want to do what i do and just leave me alone <laughs> Yeah, you know? I agree with that. Sure. Um, and which which is funny because now the the next thing I want to I want to kind of the next question that I have down here um, related to to clairvoyance is <laughs> mm-hmm. even though it doesn't sound the same and and obviously you know different genres and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of Room Nine, right? So. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense because I mean Ron was into a lot of the same kind of psychedelic stuff. Yeah, exactly. Into, I think you now, know. You guys went a slightly different direction. Like he he went more in and actually I had run on a couple of a couple of weeks ago. He's an an old friend and a fantastic yeah. fucking human. But yeah, yeah I was I, I loved, we were um, good friends for a while. And... 
90s. Yeah, I mean, well, in the 90s, everything kind of went sideways, which we will talk about yeah. in just a minute. But right. okay. um, anyway, so I was, I said, you know, hey, Ron, um, you know, I, I got a copy of, of you know, the Room 9 stuff. And I, I, I think I was like 15 or whatever, 16, yeah. whatever it was. Um, and I think a, a friend of mine had gotten from somebody in the band, like it was like a third or fourth generation, you know, copy. And yeah. I was playing it for somebody and they're like, oh, it sounds like Duran Duran. And yeah. I was like, I was like, <laughs> I'm saying this, you know, I love you, brother. I, I'm saying this you right. know, in, in the nicest way. But, you know, and he was like, I don't I think that's awesome. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's just like straight. Yeah. Like, that well, is great. They, yeah. They, they definitely had more of a, like the kind of like new wave-ish eighties kind of style thing going than, than we did. I guess, you know, we might've, if, if things had turned out differently, we might've gone that direction a little more, but really what happened and the reason probably we solidified ourselves as being so, even though I'd always loved psychedelic music, right. When the band first started is when I discovered the pebbles collection you know, like the oh. old 60s uh, oh, yeah. garage rock stuff. And also another, the English rubble collection, which is like the same type of thing, um, mm -hmm. except it's English, you know, it's all the English free beat bands from the mid 60s. It's a little more psychedelic because the English bands were a little more, you know, like right. whimsically psychedelic as opposed to like hard ass fuzz, like a lot of the Pebbles stuff was, but I just got into that. And that was like my idea of the band would have been like, you know, the cynics, or stuff like that, you know, like it. the Morlocks or that, that's what I wanted to be like, but nobody else, like, if you look at the pictures of the first year, you know, I had like the bull haircut, right. but the thing is though, if you do, if you look at the pictures on on other worlds, we have like the new, new wave haircuts still. I still had like the tail and the kind of like, oh, you know, poofed yeah. In front. yeah. And so, yeah, we were definitely, yeah. I remember the first dinosaur, junior record which was dinosaur right jay like looks pretty new wave on that picture <laughs> so so yeah i was uh, right on the cusp of changing from new wave to yeah no of course gary all i can see right now is you with a, a bowl haircut and those sideburns yeah like yeah. just imagine how that would look <laughs> right the sideburns yeah, and could, the bowl yeah 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 right quite the look, look man <laughs> it's funny know. you know it's it's uh, i i you know like i've rapidly lost my hair like you're you're super lucky yeah right yeah, um, i know <laughs> i i've i've had i've had the same widow's peak since i was like 17 you know and it, but know. it gets slightly worse you know over the it's years. weird because vans like i you know i always thought it was like red in your family vans like balding and like i don't know i've just been lucky or something it's runs in well i run in the family except finding out van losing his hair too oh. i don't know it's kind of weird you know, I, I think what you have to do when you get to that point is just yeah. gracefully lose it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I that's say, all, yeah. I say as I dye my hair bright red, but, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> whatever. I, I do believe, like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get hair transplants and I'm not going to wear a wig or anything like that. Like, it is it is what it is, and, you know. One of the coolest, you know, the Lazy Cowgirls, um, the singer Lazy Cowgirls, he's like, he was totally bald way back in the 80s. Yeah. Great but band. man he was like i remember he looked cool and was cool like we saw them in um arizona we were playing the next night at this place in in phoenix mm -hmm. and we went down to the same place when they were playing that night and there was nobody there but us and, like they basically played a show for us that's awesome and they were like totally kick ass man, it was really awesome that was really cool they were but i remember band. the guy he didn't care that he was completely bald <laughs> he was you know just yeah, rocking out it's like you know you are what you are you know and and um 
to me, yeah. it's it's more embarrassing when you try to not be what you are, right? So that being said, I I do grow, I do dye my hair, but other oh, than well, obviously I do too. But you know, yeah. Um, well, I was I started dyeing my hair way back when when I was like forty ish. The thing is now I'm like, well, if I stop dyeing my hair, it ends up being. I mean, it's kind of gray up in the back. So I, I dye it like maybe every <laughs> like three months. I started using right. henna dye because the other dye I was using it so often. I was like, man. This is like fucking my hair. Oh, yeah. I was like, maybe I'm going to go bald like right. two, it, three years ago. It makes it fall out faster, you know? Yeah, when, it yeah. does. So I started using henna and just doing it every like few months or whatever. But I don't know. Maybe I'll die, I'll grow it out. But the problem is, it's like, what do you do in between? It's like you got like half gray. And half, you know, it's, yeah. it's hard to like dye your hair out and make it gray. Right. I don't know. So so that's kind of a dilemma, I guess. I don't know. I could just let it go. But... I, I went pretty much completely white. Um yeah for a while and then when i i met my my current girlfriend um, yeah who's my same same age as me mind you so it's like not like we're you know i'm hiding anything from her yeah right um and turns out she doesn't like the gray hair i love it like i i would be completely <laughs> like i don't care you know like i really That's don't cool. care um yeah i you know it's weird because like two or three years ago like i went through kind of a i guess it was kind of like a midlife crisis kind of late i mean i'm like you know my late 50s i'm 58 but i started like it was part part of the reason though is because on facebook i was realizing geez all these people look so old and i mean not everybody <laughs> but one of the guys like i was like matt luke and you've seen a picture of him like he just looks like he's 90 years old yeah. you know and i you know i I don't want to look like I'm 20, but it's nice to look like you're 50. You know, right. If you're 60 and if you look like you're 50, that's cool. Exactly. Yeah, but, I, I agree. But with that. being 60 and looking like you're 90 kind of sucks. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I, I know several people uh, on, on both sides of that. Like, you know, a couple of people I know who, you know, are yeah. older than me. I'm, I'm 49. And yeah. I, I know a few people who are, you know, in their early 40s who look, it's amazing. Right. Yeah. I mean, they, they might right. as well be 110. I know it's just weird. I guess it's genetics, or maybe it might be from smoking, drugs, well, but on some I, 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 different things. Maybe I mean, but you know, I I have my share of vices, and you know, I mean, I, I like to think I don't like 105. Maybe I do. Like no, I, that's the whole thing. Like no. you don't know. You don't really know. No. Like all you see. Is yeah, yourself. I know. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. I mean, yeah, I don't think you don't you don't look like you look. You definitely look younger than me. I think so. I mean, when I first saw you, I was like, well, I'm not sure how old you are, but I think you're younger than me. So, and I'm 58. So, um, you know. Yeah, because, like I said, like you guys were, were uh, um, you know, really doing, you would actually just, just gotten your start when I moved out to Seattle. And I was yeah. 13, yeah. 14, 13. It's all a fucking blur, man. I think I was 13 sure. or 14 when I moved out here. Yeah, that um, would be mid eighties if you're forty nine. Yeah, yeah. Like and yeah. and I moved, <laughs> I moved from northern Idaho, so I, I understand the the frustration with Ellensburg a lot. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's the same same area. You know, yeah, northern Idaho. And yeah, Ellensburg. It's it's Definitely one of those. Have a lot in common. Yeah, it's it's uh, um, but I grew up in a mining town, which is a little bit different because oh like, yeah, a little different. Ranching and and mining, they're similar, but not not. You know what 100%. town were you, what town are you from uh wallace idaho wallace oh yeah no, yeah that, with the is that on the free is that on the is that uh let's see is that the town where the freeway goes through they had to like what did they yeah. do they made it go over yeah, I remember yeah they, they moved yeah. the freeway around it right um, and it's it's big claim to fame was uh the last stoplight between seattle and, and chicago <laughs> on our 90. 
And I actually lived in an apartment looking over that stoplight. So that that's my big claim to fame, right? (laughs) That's for you, man. Um, Yes, definitely. Yeah, no, it's 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 totally crazy. But you know, like I was saying on uh, to somebody else uh, a couple of weeks ago, it's um, it's really weird to be from a town like that, and yeah, suddenly. well, obviously, you and I have very, very, very different paths, right? So, but it's still weird to like be out and about and, and, uh, well, to be outside of those little fucking towns, right? I mean, it's just, it's yeah, weird. I know. Well, cause, yeah, the thing is, is like, I kind of was like, like when I moved to New York, we didn't live in the city, but I go to New York City a lot of times. And that's mm-hmm. what it's weird being in the middle of the, you know, as opposed to being out in the middle of nowhere which is usually what i spend most of my life in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and like in the middle of everywhere in new york city like so you go like the times square it's like that's oh, yeah. like you know if you said where's the middle of the world like times square could definitely you know oh without a doubt by. yeah without a doubt right? so but uh yeah and then coming from a little town i mean now i'm in the middle of nowhere but seattle was it's the middle of nowhere. it was man. starting to be yeah it was starting to be somewhere you know in the in the 90s, it was definitely being somewhere, but in the 80s, it was definitely not in the middle of anywhere. It was like way out in the boonies, you know? Yeah. You didn't it's... go to Seattle unless you were like working for Boeing or maybe uh, in the Navy or something right. like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite stories to tell people, because, um, you know, as I travel around and, and the minute you say you're from Seattle, people are like, oh, well, do you know? I'm like, well, yeah, no. You know, did you know Kurt Cobain? <laughs> um, Actually, I've got a funny story about that, but we, yeah. we don't have to talk about it right now. That's okay. Um, but people will say, you know, they're like, they're baffled by the whole thing. They're like, oh my God, you lived in Seattle. And I was like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. The first time I lived in Seattle was late 89, like in downtown Seattle. Yeah. Right? Or 90, I forget, whatever, 89 right. or 90. Um, and I lived on on Western, right across mm-hmm. from, from uh, um, uh, I can't even think of the name. It was a... a I'll think of it. Cyclops, right across from the Cyclops, Cyclops Cafe. Oh yeah, right. The original right. one down on Western. So, yeah. And there was nothing down there. And and the story I'll tell oh. people is, I could walk literally from from downtown Seattle, all the way to my place oh, on a Friday night. The, the watering the lawn. <laughs> Hi. Oh. Hi, it's my wife. That's the water. Do we need to turn it off? Yep, because the guy's trying to deliver this food or whatever we ordered. Oh shoot! Well, it's. Just pull it across the lawn the other way. You know, I'm not editing that out because that that's yeah, that's I know that's wonderful. Yeah, see, well, we just had the massive winter. You know, it was one degree oh, here, right. like for a couple oh my of days. God, it's never that. like that. And today, I decided to water the lawn because it's finally like have our. Plus, our city was having before the the cold of course of the pandemic is in the middle of all that too, mm-hmm. and the city like had the water had a bunch of horrible industrial chemicals in it we didn't have any here but they didn't know that at first so they're having all these water problems a week before that and then they had um the uh the winter thing you know which is like we never have winter you know snows once in a while a little bit that was like crazy and all the power our power didn't go up i don't know why but they they turned it they like we're supposed to do these rolling blackouts and they turned some people's power off all the whole week basically instead of doing the rolling block i don't know what happened they're in the process of trying to figure out what happened i guess you're lucky i I, anyway 
I have friends I in the. Oh, sorry. Oh, so, like, that's what the water's on out front because I finally figured I better water the lawn. And plus, I've got, God, I got this tree like in Texas. I don't know if you know live oak trees. They're like supposedly evergreen trees, but uh -huh. in the fall, they don't drop their leaves, they drop acorns. Starting about March 1st, they drop leaves and they drop so many leaves. It's insane. There's really hard, yucky leaves. And my entire front yard is like covered with the leaves. And it's like, you know, spring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not here. It's like fall instead. That's and there's, insane. yeah, there's like about half of all the trees in Texas are live oaks. Yeah, it's really, it sucks. So Texas I is a decided, weird place, man. It's a yeah, really weird I place. Mean, it, it is. I had been here a little bit before we moved here, but we just, you know, we moved here basically because my wife and her parents lived in Oklahoma. And we were like, well, you know, we'd be closer to your parents. We moved uh -huh. to Texas. She got a pretty good job offer here. So, and it worked out really good because we've been here for 20 years. So. Well, well, I mean, good for you. Good for you. Um, just, just to finish up on that thought though, I mean, uh, you know, I, I could literally walk from downtown all the way to my apartment on a Friday night mm -hmm. and yeah, not, I, not I, see a soul, like literally no one. Yeah, I used way. to do that down First Avenue. I lived in Lower Queen Anne for a while, like in the early '90s, and you know, I'd go to the Vogue sometimes, and there was it was nothing down there except for a couple bars, and yeah. even First Avenue, like First Avenue between the Queen Anne and and downtown, there wasn't hardly anything there until you got to Pike Place Market. Yeah, I mean, and and going from from the other side, so like right, you know, Kitty Corner from the Vogue, there was the Frontier Room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, twice. I love the frontier room. So the frontier room was where you would go to get drunk. The Vogue is where you yeah. go for your drugs. Right? Yeah, so right. it was kind of like back and forth all the time. Yeah, um, right. And then yeah, from there there was nothing. I mean, literally nothing no. going north at all. No. You know? Yeah. Um, south long, there were a couple of long. bars. If you walked up to second, of course there was you know the nightlight. Yeah. Um, and Gibson House, like you know, that was about was, it. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's yeah. nothing. And so, yeah, well, there were, there's probably a lot more clubs later on. I mean, there weren't really that many clubs in the, you know, you got um, the central, which didn't really, by the early nineties, it was like somebody else owned it. That wasn't that cool. And then you got the Vogue and um, the off ramp. That was uh, until a little bit later, like for like 89, 90. Right. right. I think something yeah. like that. Yeah. And then um, the early on, I went to Skid Row once, but I was like to some of the places that were too early, like the what was it, Gorilla Gardens. I, right. That was earlier than my or the Metropolis. Yeah, me did. I, I never went to any of those places. Those places were before my time. But, yeah. Um, yeah, there weren't really, you know, what other clubs, you know, the Central, the that was Vogue. A, that was about it. That was about it. Think of much else. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. The first time we played in Seattle, we played the Rainbow up in the U District. So that, that used to be a great spot, right? Yeah. I mean, a great spot. I mean, granted, you could only fit about fifty people in there comfortably. One hundred and fifty, I think, is was their official capacity. But yeah, it wasn't very big. Yeah, we played that. We opened the first show we ever played in Seattle was like probably eighty seven, and it was like we opened for Danger Bunny. I'm not quite sure if <laughs> they were. That was like a, some. No, it was Danger Bunny, Bunny, like you oh know, Bunny, bunny like, oh okay. okay, Rabbit, yeah, Danger Bunny. I don't know. I wow. can't remember much about what the Steve Fisk guy helped us set the show up over there. So I, I don't know. It was like definitely, and you know, so, we're, so at that point we're still like, there's a music scene in Seattle. Okay, I guess not. 
<laughs> I don't know. And we were already, you know, and th that was when we did our first U.S. tour was 1987. So we toured all over the place and then came back to Seattle. It's like, there's something going on here. There was, we just, you know, we, that, at that time too, we gradually started getting records from the, like, uh, for like the Melvins and, right. and Green River. And, you know, there's a little, just right before Sub Pop. And we knew like Steve Fist was friends with uh, Bruce Pavitt and he brought, mm -hmm. you know, he was interested in, in us. That's the thing that we had, see, after Clairvoyance, you know, Clairvoyance was like, we put out a record, yay. And then suddenly we, we went to California, got hooked up, uh, somehow with sst a couple different ways one was that uh steve fist knew a couple people one was ray farrell who worked for sst mm -hmm. and got some people to come to some of the shows and got a greg in really liked other worlds that was like the whole time that was his big that. thing you know it did yeah and so he was like that's why he wanted to sign us and he called us up on the phone after we came back like in early 87 we were all working at the newer video in Ellensburg. Our family had a video store. And mm -hmm. That's where we all, the whole band worked and we rehearsed in the back. I love that. And we get the phone call from Greg in, and this is like getting a call from like the big rock star. Right. You know, oh yeah. Yeah. To us he was, you know, yeah. and, um, and he's telling us he wants to, you know, he would beat in around the bush. He wouldn't say like, you want to be in a label fighting and landing. and was talking to him. We were all sitting there listening. And uh, you want us to like be on your label? I said, like, oh yeah, that'd be cool. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> so, so that kind of, yeah, we I, were in the middle of recording the record. So we just kept going and, you know, right. the second record that ended up being even now. So I, I have to ask this. I, I mean, I, I personally like Greg a lot. Like, yeah. Um, but a lot of people don't. So I, I've got to ask the question. Did you actually make any, did you actually get any royalty checks from, from we have, SST? Not recently, but we have in a, two or three times over the, see, I think early on, we actually were amazed to get paid like in the early nineties, a few thousand, like, you know, those records sold pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they did. We sold like 25,000. This was like back in the nineties. I don't know what they do now. 25,000 of Buzz Factory and like 10,000 of the other ones before that and like 50,000 mm -hmm. of the anthology one, you know? So mm -hmm. yeah, he paid us a few thousand dollars. I remember when started and sent us statements every once in a while for a few years. Well, that's good. Then we didn't hear from him for a while. And then finally, the last time we got paid was probably around 2010. <laughs> but it kind of sucks because since then, I know he's done everything, put everything out digitally, and he still has uh, right. somehow made vinyl. I don't even know if he used it, like, was just from the, like, CD or if he still has a master taste. He actually lives in Texas now, I guess, but I don't have oh, really? contact huh? with him. You know, yeah, I've been trying to... Like, yeah, we, we sort of like thinking we should get a hold of him so he can pay us. I don't know. Our bands had a lot of, you know, in the last 10 years, we we like dissolved the business partnership because it was a pain in the butt. Right. You know, it's like every year you have to do taxes for the business. It's like we're not making any money as a band. Right. You know, we do make some money royalties like uh, publishing stuff. Right. But yeah, so finally about, uh, about 2012 or so, we're just like, we'll dissolve the partnership so we don't have to worry about it anymore. Which is really nice because then every year you don't have to worry about the taxes. We got in some yeah. really nasty tax crap. I'm sure. That, this is a nice story. I don't know if you ever heard the story about the uh, IRS and the grunge thing. And the, they they like this. There was some guy. I didn't really know exactly the story Van was telling me, apparently. Okay. Some IRS guy 
in the late 90s who decided like i'm gonna go after some of these lesser grunge bands i bet they like haven't paid taxes and they were right we had a situation where we had this bad management for uh, years and nobody ever did our taxes for like seven years or something Mm -hmm. and apparently mud honey had some problems too and so this tax guy decided he was going to go after everybody (laughs) um yeah so um he was like you know trying to like get everyone in trouble and and i ended up like do an offer and compromise but supposedly i owed like it was they said like when we finally did my taxes for all those years they said like i made something like oh oh ninety thousand dollars in taxes and i didn't even make anywhere near enough to oh owe ninety thousand dollars in taxes but because of i don't know why like it showed one year i made fifty thousand dollars i never made any remotely fifty thousand dollars <laughs> in one year but you know it's like all this crap going on and money going this way that way and i didn't you know we didn't have any idea what was going on ever since 2000 i make sure i pay my tax on time every single year i mean i I, that was always a pain to have to wait for that scream of trees crossed up it's like i don't want to deal with that and probably don't have to i mean well you get to the point where you're like i don't even want the check to come in the mail because then i have to worry about it (laughs) right yeah right exactly i don't care how much it is just i don't want to deal with it because yeah you know especially as as because mm-hmm. technically you guys would be like well depending on how your llc was set up right and and now yeah. now of course you don't even have that right now no yeah so, so if we did get a check from the screaming trees would be like what are we are we gonna cash the check i don't know because the money ever the money everybody gets is like all personal money. right right but you have to you, figure out that right. that money that comes in even if it is just personal um, yeah, is going to be taxes potentially well, I know. at least twice, right? Yeah. Well, you got to so, remember to pay taxes on it from or take the tax money out, which you never do. No, it's like, yeah, take a, take not. a third of the money out. <laughs> it's like, no, you're not going to do that. You're crazy. No. Yeah. Right. No, so, I mean, if you get a check for say like you know five grand, um, yeah, then what are you going to do? You're going to say, hey, I've got five grand in my account. Yeah, I know. You're not <laughs> right? going like, to say, I need to save $1,500 of that to pay the IRS. No, yeah, like, no, dude, fuck that. Don't worry about that later. Yeah, if, if the number shows yeah. up is five, you're going to be like, okay, that's mine. Yeah, that's mine. I don't know. I, yeah, I wish Van could tell the story because he knows a lot more about it. But anyway, it was like an IRS guy decided to like make his name on the, going after the bands that you know he knew that were just lame enough to not keep track of the money but not big enough to make very much money <laughs> you know? did, did you end up paying your ninety thousand, or did you do yeah well no i only had yeah i only had to like pay something a few thousand dollars and, oh good and good for you that was and, and then you have to like pay your taxes every year on time but yeah ever since i i i you know i've always i one thing i learned about being in the band maybe it's just like a life lesson but if don't let other people do stuff if you want something done you just got to go straight to it and do it yourself because whatever like you know like oh i'll do this i'll do that you know money wise or even like you know um it just doesn't matter you gotta look you gotta do it yourself if you want to make sure something gets done the, the, yeah. the, definitely the taxes that was the thing i should i don't i can't believe now because i'm really you know want to make sure my taxes are done on time every year and i do Mm-hmm. But back then, I just didn't even think about the taxes for seven right. years. Well, yeah, That's no, hard mean, to believe. I, I, I've been independent for 25 years, and I still have yeah. an issue with that. In fact, I think I owe the IRS 175000 right now. I know. Oh, yeah. that's Which is ridiculous. That sucks. Um, yeah, I did a thing a few years ago where I had like a bunch of debt uh, that was like forgiven, and I had to uh, 
you know, you had to pay taxes on that. It sucks. That right. Was yeah, exactly. Payment right. plans for a couple of years, but that worked out okay. But uh, yeah, whew, it, yeah, IRS stuff sucks. Yeah, it totally sucks. And in fact, I totally want, don't want to talk about that. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> the, the one thing the IRS can do, and this, this is about a decade old now, um, the IRS actually can look at your emails they can look at whatever oh yeah that's true they can it's terrifying (laughs) i know so they're like a little arm that just comes out and be like okay we're just gonna take yeah well that's what that guy from the seattle tax guy would have done like nowadays he would have been checking out all the like you know social media stuff all the bands let's see if they're talking about like selling records at their shows because you know that they never like right. kept track of that to pay taxes on right? yeah, I, I i personally can't think of a single band i know who actually was like oh yeah we made a thousand dollars selling albums this week at shows yeah right they, yeah who's gonna do that no yeah i try to keep track of my stuff at least so i'm not at least so i tell them how much i make and i'm not lying about it you know I right could... <laughs> i do the same thing but but the flip side to that is i don't because I kind of do it ad hoc, I I don't take out the money I should take out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I would it's never like, have either. Uh, yeah. Well, I had the same thing. I've been self-employed. I think I had a couple jobs like when in the early '80s, but I've been self-employed my whole life. So it's like I I remember finding out that what self uh, social security self-employment tax? What? What's that? I don't know. And why is it six point five percent or seven? Whatever it is, seven. I think it's seven five now. Yeah. Um, Oh, actually, it's fifteen because technically the employer is supposed right. to right. You only have it. to right. So that's yeah. That's why. You, but you're the employer, so why don't you have to pay half? <laughs> I never understood that one. Yeah, no, no. Well, it's it's a I'm it's a money grab. Self-employed. Yeah, totally a money grab. Um, you know, Gary, this is a great. I almost called you Van for fuck's sake. Sorry. That's okay. Um, We've there's been confused confused many times. One time, well, somebody in Ellensburg. Uh, it was Circle K, like 7-Eleven type place. Like, Van mm-hmm. went in there. We were like, you know, I wasn't even together with him that day. Like, he was, like, living somewhere else. Like, he goes in, and then I go back. Uh, he Then I went in there a few minutes later, and they're like, back for more snacks, huh? And <laughs> we had different hair. We didn't even really, you know, but they still thought we were the same person. So you know, one of, my, not... one of my favorite Screaming Trees story is, I, I think I saw you... To be honest, I have no idea. Three, five, ten, a hundred. Like, I really don't know how many times, but at least yeah, a couple of times. A lot of times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the only show I actually remember, you know, through, through mm. you know, age and whatnot is I think it was you guys, Tad, and Soundgarden at the, I want to say it was uh, the Moor. Yeah, the Moor. Yeah. That yeah. Was, yeah. That was a show. That's was the a... picture on the cover of Changes Come, is it? That show. Oh, is Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. And, the, the, the memory that I took away, I think I was probably, you know, fucked up on something anyway. Um, and I think I, I started to peek on whatever I was on right about the time you guys came on stage. Because I think Tad opened and you guys were right below Soundgarden. Right. Yeah, right. And I was just like coming up on whatever the fuck I was on. Um, and I just remember you and Van literally like rolling on stage. Yeah. <laughs> like you guys were rolling around. But you're still playing, you know. You're, yeah, you know, I know. Yeah, we still yeah, we try to do that. <laughs> it was fucking. Hysterical. Yeah, that happened one time. I remember we were playing, and one of the first times I started doing that, we were playing in Bellingham, and there was like a. I kind of like tripped backwards, and I kind of rolled over like that. I was like, "Hey, that was kind." I didn't get hurt, and I was like, "That was kind of cool." Then I remember seeing uh, some video of Hendrix doing something like that. We were just standing there, all of a sudden, he like boom, like 
So I thought, okay, I'll do that. And then sort of, you know, the thing is weird with all that, like going crazy on stage and stuff, because on the one hand, it's like, was all really genuine. But once in a while, especially later on, it's kind of like, you have to do that. Right. You know? No, exactly. Exactly. And it was kind of cool way later, like when we got Josh home in the band, like where I actually could play on stage. And so I still, you know, tried to go nuts. Um, but, you know, actually playing and not just completely being was kind of different too, I guess. So, but I don't know, but I mean, it was, you know, if it was, if it's not genuine, it looks like really, really. Right. <laughs> right. And, and I, I think that that's something, um, this is a great segue. I'm, I'm so glad we, we talked about this. Yeah. Um, there's a, um, even the dumbest of the public of which most of them are like, let's yeah. face it, you know, yeah. and, and I'm know. probably including myself in that too. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, they even the dumbest of the dumb yeah understand not being authentic right yeah at some level that's what that that oh that did you see that thing a few weeks ago i didn't even i didn't heard of the lady what's her name i can't remember it was on saturday live and she smashed the guitar did you see that was what is that lady's no, name i didn't see yeah that. you'll have to look that up it's yeah it was a few weeks ago and i can't remember she wasn't real much of a rock kind of thing her stuff was kind of mellow a little bit rock mm -hmm. it was, I, yeah but anyway at the end of the second song she starts they kind of go into this all of a sudden they think they're maybe slightly one percent sonic youth or something it's like <laughs> right you know doing a loud <laughs> i love it kind of thing and she goes you know to break the guitar and it was like i've only broken the guitar on purpose once and it was because I we were having this crazy time at Roskilde Festival, and I hated the guitar, and everything went insane, and we decided to smash everything up just at the spur of the moment. And I, I love it. If they're not easy to break, man. This was like a Gibson. It was a blue and that. But anyway, this lady tries to break the guitar on a monitor, and it was so obvious it was all set up. <laughs> right. You know? And she, and then it turns out later she even had called Dane Electro to find out if it was okay to smash the guitar because it was a Dane Electro guitar. Oh my God. I know. That's and like, ridiculous. And people were criticizing it really bad for it. But I mean, the, the it came down to the fact that it was so planned and ungenuine. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, do you think that, I don't know, did Pete Townsend plan on breaking guitars all the time? Did Kurt plan on breaking <laughs> guitars all the time? maybe at some point they may have you know but originally when they started doing it they didn't you know I right mean, and just i don't know i mean there was a real lot of controversy about this because people were criticizing her because she was a woman breaking the guitar and that wasn't what i thought oh. at all. it was just that it was so ungenuine you know it's like and the music didn't really have any kind of impetus to smash a guitar it's kind of like donovan's right. like yeah atlantis yeah you know well it's 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 <laughs> it, it, it's like what i what i was talking to uh brad sensel about right and and that is um it's the same culture that has t-shirts where we're like you know an, a hollywood actress who is like oh, 22 yeah is wearing a, a fucking yeah or a bathory t-shirt right like bathroom like they yeah. have no trust me they have no idea who bathory is yeah. They happen to be one of my favorite bands, but right, I don't um, even know. So I got. Do I know who Bathory is? Who super, is it? Super early death metal, you know, like okay. from like 90, 80, 82 from Switzerland. Really, like, okay. totally just like a weird. But yeah, I mean, you see plenty of people who are wearing like 
the CBGBs or Ramon shirts who have no idea who the hell Ramones yeah, were or CBGBs was. But that's even more, that's really obscure, but you'd like, they get the most obscure thing and then like say, look how cool I am because this is really obscure, even though I don't know have any idea who it is. It's right. I know what's obscure. Are people wearing Shea Guevara shirts? That's like a big thing. No, uh, you know, hey, we, we could probably talk about that for about an hour. Yeah, um, I know. I, I, I want to, uh, A, I want to respect your time, but but two. Yeah. Now that's um, interesting. I this that kind of it's kind of cool to talk about that just a bit though, because really the whole Seattle music, a lot of this at least Seattle music scene, the side with Nirvana and Mudhoney and Tad and us and you know Love Battery, was about being genuine. You know, mm-hmm. it was like that was kind of the thing. Like Pearl Jam didn't quite fit, and even some yeah. of the guys like Stone and Jeff, because they kind of seemed like they wanted to get. They should have moved to L.A. and sort of, <laughs> well, instead of do it in Seattle, that kind of thing. I, I think they were in the process of doing that when Andy died. Like, I think that, oh, yeah, that was that's their not whole surprising. thing. I always thought Alice in Chains was in that bunch, but they it turned out that they weren't. You know, I, Alice in Chains actually, I think, ended up being one of the best bands from well, yeah. Seattle, even though at the time I didn't really get it because they come from that kind of hair metal thing. But that was a weird hair metal scene, oh, like yeah. in North Seattle, like white trash sort of people so i used to i i grew up in edmonds and and actually i live here now yeah um and i used to when i was a teenager i was like 16 17 again it's a blur but somewhere in there i was underage let's put it that way and there was a a steakhouse the riviera steakhouse in in linwood and i used to go there and they would have alice in chains right like yeah, not alice in chains right. yeah right. um the bondage boys you know take me down yeah know, like, i mean all of the you know people who want to do like you know hair metal and whatnot um and they would play in there um, um slaughterhouse right. five which actually i loved that oh. band yeah um and the owner was really cool like he was an old old chinese guy and he'd be like you can't come in the bar but you can stand right here <laughs> so i would i would like That's stand cool. at the end of the hallway you know, or a Coke or whatever, you know, and just sit there and like watch these bands. Yeah, well, especially in Seattle was or Washington State was really hard ass about oh, twenty one. Super fucking hard ass. Yeah, in fact, the first time you couldn't play, you couldn't go in the into the club if you were playing there. We had the first time we played at Central, like uh, Pickerel and Van were both under uh, twenty one, and they had to oh. sit outside. You know? yeah. So I stay outside too, which is why I didn't see Room Nine. I mean, we play room nine. Oh. I always felt bad. I didn't see room nine because I stayed outside. So did, did, because did, of Bantam. Did, and, did and they make you crawl through the alley space, or did you get to come come through the front? No, we had to go through the alley. <laughs> the alley. Remember? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the alley. The funniest thing is the central has been or used to be anyway my my home bar, right? Because I lived yeah. right around the corner, and so show or not, I was you know usually there. Yeah, and right. One day. It's, it's like 11 30 in the morning mm-hmm. and i was in there and and getting lunch you know in quotes right. yeah right. and all of a sudden i hear the bartender say holy fuck did you see that and i like look back <laughs> yeah and somebody from the night before had forgotten to shut the window to the outside oh. so there were these these guys like just crawling through the alley like trying <laughs> to get in the central at, like 11 30 in the morning oh man and yeah we had to we had to take a broom and go you know shake them down yeah central like, was not a very comfortable place to no. go or play or, but 
the, I don't know if people know that Susan Silver's office was right upstairs. I so like know. later on when she was our manager, it was like, Oh, I remember taking a nap before the show on her couch or something. Yeah. So that yeah. was kind of convenient. That whole area up there is, is beautiful. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, if I had the money, I would buy that building in a heartbeat, yeah. you know, and convert. I think it's in the central still there, but I don't know what kind of thing. The central hasn't been open for almost a year now. So, oh really? Well, yeah. yeah, because of the pandemic, obviously. But uh, yeah, but Before what's the pandemic? It was still. There. What's funny is um, I, I want to touch on this, and then I have like another. Do you have another ten minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay, perfect. Um, the same owner has has had Central since nineteen seventy seven. Really? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and he just kind of like changes as you know as time goes on. He's like, okay, well, let's do this. Oh wait, let's do that. Right. Um, yeah. And yeah, because it seemed like so the same person owned it like in the '90s, and it just seemed like it changed. I don't know why. It just maybe it was just, different I don't know. bookers, right? I mean that that's really what it was all about. Um, yeah, and you know the the current booker is a is a good friend of mine, and he's he's yeah. done I think a pretty good job. Or I'm right. sorry, he did up until a year ago, right? Yeah. Of, of bringing bands in there, right? Um, I forget about that. I I brought in a. Um, a Dave Dichter, like millions of dead cops, right? So I, I brought him in as an acoustic band oh. at Central. It was a fucking blast. There were like 15 people there. That sounds interesting. Right, because yeah, first of all, like nobody remembers millions millions of dead cops, number one. No, I remember them. I, well, I do. I fucking love them. Yeah. But it was the acoustic set, right? Yeah. So it was like, <laughs> okay, millions of dead cops, acoustic. Yeah, that sounds interesting. <laughs> oh, it was so much fun. It was, I mean, well, he's, 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 he's from Texas. So he's got that kind yeah. of like sensibility going on, right? Yeah. So it was like, you know, um, Texas punk rock going on, but acoustic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it was, there it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. That sounds interesting. Yeah, no. Well, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I love, I never, I see that up till about 95, I spent some time in Seattle. But after that, I was this year back a few times. I remember going to the Crocodile quite a bit in the late 90s. That was like right. a pretty cool place to go. But yeah, I've, I know like this from like Facebook and seeing like stuff that's going on. There's been a whole lot of other venues and I have no idea where they are <laughs> that were like pretty popular. And it's like, that's, you know, they, hey, that was a really cool venue, like, but they've yeah. come and gone. Yeah. And of course, mostly gone nowadays well they're all gone um yeah you know and and speaking of being all gone this is this is a good segue here so yeah um you just recently had and i promise to god this is not an ambush gary i'm just gonna say it um yeah. <laughs> recently um your bandmate you know mr lanigan oh yeah posted an autobiography <laughs> I know. And, and again, I know you've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum, so I'm not going to, you know, like, yeah, that's cool. I mean, I'm whatever. Not upset about it. I, mean, um, I it was scary at first, but kind of got used to it. And then, well, so actually, go ahead. What, one thing that, that I was going to say is like, you know, when you did that initial Facebook post, right. And if you yeah. did on your own, you know, your personal little page. Yeah. And, right. I mean, you were hurt. Right. I mean, well, yeah, seriously I, fucking hurt. I mean, yeah, the main the main reason I was hurt was because he's calling, you know, I mean, I really love all those old songs. And, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, most of them, I mean, I was, you know. 
I've wrote the main songwriter and there's a few things, you know, I could go song by song. Like I wrote this, but mainly I, you know, they were almost mostly my songs, especially the SST years. And, you know, he's calling complete shit. You know, that was what really hurt sure. my feelings. Cause we didn't get along very well. You know, first the band got together and we were kind of friends, but then, you know, everyone's got their own quirks and, and I'm like, I never been diagnosed with autism, but I think, you know, I've got a lot of autistic sort of characteristics. I know I talk to like people I know to think, yeah, you probably could have got diagnosed with autism probably. But, you know, back in the seventies, like kids, like were just, oh, it's kind of like recluse or mm -hmm. something, you know, they didn't diagnose very many people with autism. But, um, yeah, so yeah, I was really, I, I'd only seen like, I didn't, I never did read the whole book and I've heard like, you know, passages out and get that gist of what it's mm -hmm. about and stuff. But um, I was, uh, there was somebody had posted like a couple pages of an advanced copy of it. So it was right a little before it came out. And I was just kind of like, you know, what, what are you digging this up for 20 or 30 years later? Right. You know, I've moved so far past that. You know, I used to like the first 10 years, after the band, they said nightmares all the time about, you know, like stuff that was going on with that. the band and stuff. And it took me about that long. And that's why I really didn't do much of my solo career, you know, for some other reasons too, just because there wasn't really an outlet to do it. The internet was a little different in the 2000s as opposed to the 2010s. Right. Um, but yeah, I wasn't really, you know, kind of trying to get away from all the hell that, you know, being a dysfunctional family, which is basically what the band was like. You know, I'm not going to dispute any of that, that we you know, did not get along. But, you know, the, the overriding thing to me was we were trying to do something uh, art artistically. And, I, you know, I'm really proud of it. And like suddenly there's somebody writing up, not just like saying it like on a post, but writing an entire book about right. it was all garbage. It was just With the worst crap. And, yeah. And, you know, and Mark, that was where he, you know, his solo career would have never happened with uh he would have still been living in ellensburg working at twin city foods or you know so would i have too, I, but, I, you know that, that's all, everybody helped each other you know it was like it wouldn't have happened without anybody you know one person right. had been in the band and there's have turned out that way there's definitely some um what I like to call uh, well lots of people like to call uh lead singer syndrome you know that happened there yeah yeah, I, don't, I never really saw him having that because we always like, you know, we're real like group. It wasn't like, you know, and some people, you know, especially when we got an epic, are like, we'll take the singer and put him up front type of thing in there. But it was never, especially because it was our relationship songwriting wise, you know, Van wrote some stuff here and there, but it was mainly me writing songs and giving them to Mark. And he was like, mm -hmm. uh, basically, he was like music director and editor. You know, right. he would decide what songs to do. He would like decide, you know, and, you know, really good editors change big parts of books and stuff. But he did mm -hmm. that. He changed, you know, changed titles on lyrics and stuff like that. And, you know, and I, I think like back in the late 80s, I was a little like, you know, I don't want you to do that. I want to do it the way I want to do it or whatever. But, you know, mm -hmm. by the by the early 90s or mid 90s, I was definitely like, you know, you made all that stuff way better because it would have just been, you know, confined sure. to some sort of. And I'd come out. I mean, and plus the fact that I love, I mean, Mark's, I think Mark's got one of the best voices in rock music. It, it's beautiful. I love it's gorgeous. Voice. I've always have. And I'm like, I've always been, you know, like honored to have him sing that stuff. Plus we taught each other how to do everything, you know, we were doing it all at the same time. So, um, you know, and it just like really was 
just seemed like, why does he have to be so nasty about this stuff? Especially, I like I said, you know, the personal stuff is like, whatever, you know, um, except for the fact that it's been so long, why bring it all up now? It's right. kind of like, you know, and I, it was just the, the fact that he's calling all the music complete shit. You know, that's like, I don't, I don't like that idea, I, you know? I, I, I think, and this is probably going to be in trouble, but I'm going to say it anyway. I, I think it's, um, it's very similar to like when, when, like right before we started, and I was talking about having Tom Hansen on, you know, and his yeah. American Junkie thing. Um, yeah. And he took a lot of shit for, for mentioning, yeah. well, Lanigan amongst many others, right? As people right. That, that he was selling dope to. Yeah, I can't imagine what Mark was thought when he, if he ever read that, what he, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be Tom Hansen and Mark with Mark Lanning in the same room. No, I, 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 I know for a fact that he has read it and yeah. he, because Tom was very careful about what he did. Yeah. Right. And yeah. way more careful than he probably should have been. <laughs> like I personally would have been like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's why I can't wait to have, you know, Tom on so we can actually talk yeah, about right. that stuff. But interesting. Um, it's, it's amazing how that, that transformation happens. And I, Trust me, we're going to get out of this really soon, so you know we can we can That's wrap okay. this up. But I think um, that transformation from "Hey, we're a little band in Ellensburg" to "Hey, we're Sunday SST, we're touring," yeah, and suddenly we're like in 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 uh, uh, for lack of a better term, the the Seattle Pantheon, right? Yeah, and that happened in a very 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 short amount of time, right? Like well, a, yeah, a because years. it was like you know the earth in 1991. That's when it happened. 1992 and because you know we're an epic and stuff is still we're just like you know doing the same thing everything was the same and suddenly like you know i i went to the nirvana show of the paramount in uh halloween in 91 mm -hmm. and everything was it was just like a regular show but it was bigger you know everyone was out in the lobby talking to each other including all the nirvana guys and they were telling us man we sold 300,000 copies of the record it's like we're like holy crap and then like that was like the last day of the seattle the old seattle scene to me because after that everything just got kind of bizarre yep. surreal thing that still completely baffles me it's like you know i think it's you know nowadays it's like that was amazing it's like what we did was part of rock history like i would have seen like the stuff we did was like the way i saw like the london or san francisco scenes or something you know right when I was a kid or now, you know, it's like, geez, people think about people that were just like, you know, casual acquaintances or friends of mine, like some kind of like rock gods or something. It's like, geez, that's really <laughs> freaky. But, you know, yeah, it's I, good. It's, it's nice to be able to artistically capitalize on all of those. It's just like, because I don't, you know, yeah. my solo stuff, I don't sell very much. The only reason I do is because I love to make music and I want right. to make stuff that I like, you know, but at least, you know, and it's nice to have people listen to it. You know, it makes it sort of worth it all. Well, of course, of course. So, yeah, um, so capitalizing on the whole, you know, music uh, pantheon, like you said, it's a good thing, you know. I don't, it's not like I'm, you know, deciding to, like, uh, so, you know. Gary, I, I, don't know. I lost my train of thought. No, it's all good. It's all good. Like, we're, we're wrapping up here very soon. Yeah, um, okay. I have a couple of just like free form questions, but one yeah. of the things that you, you said, you know, you, you mentioned the word Pantheon yeah. and right before I got on with you, I was talking to an old friend of mine mm -hmm. um, and he came up with a question and I'm going to butcher it to fuck. But anyway, okay. his, his yeah. question basically um, 
was what's it like to have recognition but not be part of the pantheon that's way cooler probably <laughs> i mean i can't even imagine it'd be horrible to be i mean i don't you know i i was only i'd say like kurt cobain was a casual acquaintance and i kind of but i kind of touched I, he felt like he touched me just because i loved his music so much you know mm -hmm. and i could you know relate to like the way i love my music you know and you know i've heard like rumors and i don't know what really went on like mark was way better you know he was a good friends with me mm -hmm. but you know part of the reason at least that he decided to end it was because he kind of lost that passion sort of passion and yeah he didn't have that it wasn't his anymore it's got taken away from him. his music got taken away from him i can't mm -hmm. imagine that happening it's just like you know i mean i've never i mean i had a hard time probably after the band ended because like that was my you know i never had another band or have solo albums i had one solo album, but you know i always wrote for the scream trees it was like mm -hmm. when i wrote something it was like this is gonna be a scream tree song you know so right. i didn't think of it another way so it was hard for me it took me about 10 years to really move past that but um yeah so i think like not being yeah being that's that's like the perfect place to be is to be recognized for what you do people love it people like it right. but not be massively famous because that would just like screw everything up i mean because really you know it's like you look at what you know the seattle scene it was really cool before uh nevermind came out and nevermind's a great record and they were playing the songs I mean, people were loving them at the shows before Nevermind came out. And it was like, that's part of it. But then suddenly it got taken away. And it's like, right. but on the other hand, of course, I've always been like, you know, it would have been like if the Seattle scene was like, if in the early 70s, the Stooges and the MC5 were the biggest bands in the world. You know, that Definitely. If, if anybody thinks they were, they're completely wrong. <laughs> they're like, yeah. they were hated, you know, especially the Stooges. I mean, they were just right. like, who are these weird freaks? wasn't until in the 80s that people started realizing hey there was really something there but in seattle it was kind of like you know with nirvana and somewhat with pearl jam i just musically i you know i respect pearl jam i've never really quite been into them as much as nirvana that yeah, nirvana yeah. was like one of my favorite bands you know and they still are but, um yeah it's like they're, they're on that level you know they integrity they fucking were were rock you know that was what rock was about and suddenly yep. they were like the Beatles, you know, maybe not that, big, but you know, as big as you can get without being the Beatles. I don't know. At I the mean, time, at the time, you know, to, to my I mean, kids' generation, he's a, they kind of are though, right? Yeah, you're right. So, you're right. Is, you're right. They, they are because the Beatles are like something that's really, really old. Whereas like Kurt Cobain is like still a cultural icon. Yeah. People who are younger. So, yeah. whereas like you know some of like Brian Jones or Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, they're kind of like that's right. who are those really old people? You know. <laughs> Although it's amazing how some new bands are really into a lot of, you know, rock music, not, right. you know, the whole stretch of from the early 60s to now. So. Oh, my God. You need to get your dog like right up in the, the picture here because. Oh, yeah. Rubble, so cute. Oh, is. my God. So Say cute. Hello, Rubble. Oh, yes, he's very cute. He's really... Hey, Gary, I, I know you got to go. Yeah. I, I got to go, too. But yeah, let, I got to get the water off. One, apparently, yeah. your, your wife is going to come flooding, back in and she's going to be flooding the lawn or something. I don't know. I've had it on all day, but I was moving it around. So right, right before we go, I have one last question. And this yeah. is the question nobody fucking likes to answer. OK, I've been doing it for like 35 years in, in different right. ways. But the question is, what is one thing about you nobody would know? Like, Nobody what is some weird thing that, that 
Oh, yeah. I always have trouble thinking of something to think of something that nobody knows. Um, or, I'm sorry, that would be surprising but, to them. It doesn't have to yeah. be something nobody knows. Yeah, right. I think, well, I mean, I do all sorts of stuff. What, um, I don't know. Is it surprising? The, 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 trying to think. Think, 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 think. <laughs> what about, yeah, I mean, probably people don't know anything except for my music. I mean, I really like i only watch science fiction movies and i only read science fiction books that works is that i mean yeah i mean that's like i really i don't really like anything that's not sci-fi you know i don't know it's a lot of music that i do especially like philip k dick's like my favorite oh c clark so like hard sci-fi and like the weird psychological sci-fi too it's kind of like but yeah i don't know i mean you might be able to hear that in some of the songs i guess but uh yeah that's like my I kind of run out of stuff nowadays, though. I don't listen, to, I don't like read too much new stuff. Or, mm-hmm. Most of the new TV shows suck. I don't know, every once in a while, they do. They of, do. Every yeah. once in a while, like Netflix will do a, a Netflix original, yeah. and you'll watch it and you're like, okay, that was okay. But they only do like one or two seasons at a time. So it's like, well, yeah. fuck you. <laughs> like, yeah, I want, I want like six, yeah, seven. Like the Man in the High Castle sucked. That was just like, I was looking forward to that, like Philip K. Dick, you know, thing. And right. they just, they turned it into like, you know, oh, there's a resistance in, uh, to the Nazis and stuff. That that wasn't good. And then I watched uh, Arthur C. Clarke, The Childhood's End. They had a thing on, I was on a sci-fi a few years ago and it was so bad. I wanted to kill somebody the whole time. I, <laughs> you know, I had to watch the whole thing because it was like, that's one of my favorite old books, but man, it was like painful. It was really bad. Hey, Gary, I okay. appreciate you being on so much. I, I have a lot of more yeah, questions. No so you know, I hey, know. let's do let's do a, a round two at some point, okay? Yeah, I know this. Your whole life is like a whole bunch of huge amount of stuff to talk about. It is. So. It is. I know. And I also know, you know, trust me, you don't piss off your wife. So you know, go fix your yeah, your right. fucking you know hose problem yeah. or whatever's going on there. And uh, get well, we had a Walmart order, and the Walmart guy didn't want to walk through the water. Oh, <laughs> deliver. So make, make sure you take care of that and give your dog a fucking yeah. treat, man. Yeah, oh, look, yeah. Look. Time for them to <laughs> time for them to eat. There yeah, the other dog, dog Maxie's down oh, there. You hi. can't see him very no, much. Yeah, you see Maxie. Maxie's there. And yeah. Oh, they're both wagging their tails. So they, they they probably heard treat. Yeah, yeah. They're all good. Gary, I appreciate it so much. All right. Man. Hey, if you don't mind, can you stay on for like two minutes after we hang up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. Cheers, man. Thank you. Okay.